Today on Cinematic Anarchy, I sit down with Sarah from Two Chicks Talking Flicks to interview Daniel Davis and Brett Taylor, the director and producer of the film Slaughter Beach. But first, a word from, well, not our sponsors, but our friends from Two Chicks Talking Flicks. This is Two Chicks Talking Flicks, where we review movies. We try to dig deeper and go more in depth. For and profound for me. Yeah, um, for me, I'm just like, what? We even bring up relevant topics. I remember from Punky Brewster <laughs> that you don't go inside the frame. No, you- and we're here to have those tough conversations. Mm-hmm. And she was wearing a white dress. which was very- Huh? It was yellow. So if this sounds like the podcast for you, please enjoy new episodes every Tuesday. Hey guys, this is your warning. We do post up spoilers. At times, we're relatively offensive. We use vulgar language. So if you think that any of those are going to offend you in any way, shape, or form, take your step back right now. Because, buddy, uh, this is not the place for you. Anywhom, have fun listening to us. And, yeah, this has been your final warning. Welcome to Cinematic Anarchy, where today we have a trifecta of people joining me. Uh, first, we're going to go ahead and introduce uh, Sarah from the Two Chicks uh, Talking Flicks podcast, who will be my Hello. co-host for this episode today. Hello, Sarah. Hi! Sorry. <laughs> I was too excited. We have the honor of uh, having two guys from a film that we recently reviewed, Slaughter Beach. They are going to discuss their film with us today. We have the uh, director and writer Daniel C. Davis. Hello, how do you do? And with him today is the producer, Brett Taylor. Hey, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I can stop tripping over my tongue for about two seconds, because I definitely did that as I was walking into the beginning of this. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we're going to Did you take an edible today, Chris? Oh, no. I really. I stayed away from it today so that I don't blank like I did the last time. (laughs) I had a a podcast just a little bit ago where I brought somebody on and I had a couple edibles beforehand and they talked through the entire podcast with me just zoned out. So. (laughs) I definitely popped in a few times, but I blanked the entire podcast. They carried the whole thing. (laughs) See, that's, see, I can do that naturally just through ADHD. Right? Right. Yeah, well, that's my problem. Severe ADHD that's, that's along with edibles, they don't work. It doesn't work together. It doesn't focus you any better <laughs> at all. So uh, we, about a couple weeks back, we, we watched your uh, film, and I personally absolutely loved it. So I am really honored to have you guys here today. I grew up watching a lot of old, like, Lloyd Kaufman stuff and, and uh, trauma horror comedies and i felt a lot of that old nostalgia watching this film so awesome that's exactly what we were going for so and 
Um, we actually got accepted into Troma Dance, which so it'll be screening in New York in a couple weeks. Okay, just a little jealous. Wow. Just a little. Because <laughs> I absolutely love old Uncle Lloyd. He's uh... oh, he's great. Because we worked at him, we worked with him recently in our friend's short film called The Boog, and I got to share a scene with him as like a reporter, and he played like uh, the mayor of the town. It was great. I'm definitely going to have to look that up. Completely terrifying. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like three feet away from Lloyd Kaufman and feeding him a line. It's just like, oh God, there's a legend right there. <laughs> so if uh, people don't know, who's Lloyd Kaufman? Lloyd Kaufman you don't is know. the owner of Troma Entertainment. Oh. The creator of the Toxic Avenger. Oh, okay. I keep forgetting, Sarah, you're not as, uh, as steeped in the... Uh... The deeply independent cinema as I am. <laughs> True, but also, you know, there are other people that may be listening who don't. So yeah. I was... Lloyd Kaufman. Ah. That's very true. Owner of Peter Jacob Entertainment. Creator of the Toxic Avenger. Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High. Class uh, of Newcomb High, uh, Poultry Geist. That's probably my personal favorite. Cannibal the Musical. Class of High recently. The second one at the drive-in. Tromathon in Mahonan Drive-In Theater. A lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were all there. Um, they uh, they were actually promoting uh, the release of the Toxic Crusaders video game, which will be on like all platforms coming soon. Yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. It plays out like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> arcade game. And you get to play as all like the classic uh, Crusader characters. Hopefully it doesn't play out like the old NES game. Oh, that was rough. Actually, I personally like the original NES game. Like everybody, I loved it, like but it was tough. Like, like, yeah, the the damn level was really, really hard. But like after a couple tries, you get through it. I mean, you're left with one turtle by the end, but you still get through it. I I think I went through many a controller trying to get through that particular <laughs> game. Just destroyed. Just throwing controller it at the wall. It's like okay, got to buy a new controller. Well, those little NES controllers were not all that durable. No, they weren't. No, not Actually, I'm the thing they kind of were. You can okay, kill someone no. with a NES controller. I might have been just extra rough on them then. <laughs> That's what was missing Hard. from this movie. Oh, I mean, I mean, maybe they knew that people were getting murdered with NES controllers because if you notice, like the the N64 had like the three like legs on it, and that third leg, you know, the middle one, that could that's <laughs> definitely like punch someone's eye out. There you go. That's so, a Next film for Bludgeon Man. They, they'll you just an arsenal of like NES controllers. The Nintendo Shuriken. Yeah, we can have like the the uh, the video game nerd or whatever. Wait, we get James Rolfe to be the third Defender Bender. There you go. <laughs> uh, so why don't you go ahead and just uh, I, I wanted to bring you guys on and at least give you a little time to sort of promote your project, Slaughter Beach, and kind of introduce yourselves. Let them know what you're doing and what you're up to. Okay, uh, Brett, if you want to take the lead, no, I'm kidding. Uh, all right, well, Slaughter Beach oh. is a <laughs> Slaughter Beach is a tongue-in-cheek uh, horror comedy in the vein of like Troma and the Evil Dead trilogy and the Basket Case sequels. So it's just a mixture of like you know light campy comedy and you know gory grotesque slaughtering, and it covers the ground of these. Two like nitwit wannabe superheroes that have to go on the trail and take down this killer fisherman who's on the prowl. So I came up with the idea because I always wanted to do a like a underdog 
comedy because I grew up with stuff like Pee Wee Herman and Ernest Scared Stupid and, <laughs> you know, obviously I talked to you guys earlier, like I'm obsessed with Ghostbusters. So I always wanted to do like a comedy that was like these unlikely heroes getting in themselves into this weird situation. And I had that concept, but I didn't really have a villain yet. And we came up with the villain when we were on our way to a, uh, a gig down in Rehoboth Beach. And there's actually a town in Delaware called Slaughter Beach. And then that's where we're like, oh, there it is. And it all clicked and came together there. I wanted to ask, did you guys get a little inspiration from Herman Melville for the main character, for uh, Fishman Sam? <laughs> just a little bit? Maybe just a little. Well, actually, the inspiration for Fishman Sam was a mixture of a couple things. Me and Jim, our co-producer who also played uh, Fishman Sam, we're big fans of uh, Nothing But Trouble, the Dan Aykroyd movie. So there were little little hints of uh, Dan Aykroyd's character, Judge Alvin, in Fishman Sam. A little bit of Freddy Krueger, obviously. And a little bit of uh, Robert Shaw from Jaws. And basically make a, uh, a demented version of Captain Carl from Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> okay, now that you mention it, I can see that a little bit. <laughs> I, <can. laughs> I did mention that it kind of reminded me of Jaws. Yeah, and the bait shop, the bait shop scene is a complete like uh, nonchalant ode to Jaws in the, uh, the Indianapolis monologue. That was very, very difficult scene to edit. <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> days. Well, also because Fishman Sam was not originally Jim, so we had to go back and do the reshoots. Yes. We had to Eric Stoltz a, a certain Eric character. <laughs> uh, so you had to go back and just sort well, not, of... Not because he was a bad actor. He was a terrific actor. He actually like lives in Florida now. And he signed, our film is like, you know... It gets done when it gets done. It's basically kind of like a long contract kind of movie because we were paying out of pocket to make it. So it took us like three years to shoot, and he just couldn't commit to it. He had like other stuff going on at the time. He came to the first shoot with his beard actually like shaved. And I was like, I'm like, dude, where, where's the beard? He's like, oh, I had to cut it off because I had a commercial shoot the other day. He just shoot me from behind. I, like, okay. I was like, as long as you can grow it back by next time. I, it's all good. It's all good. So eventually we were just like, after we shot, I still gave him a credit as like a fake shimp, you know, the Sam Raimi credit. And <laughs> I was just like, I was like, hey, man, if you're too busy, I was like, well, we're going to just kind of recast it. He's like, yeah, dude. And he's like, I understand these things take time. It was like a completely mutual understanding. There was no bad blood between me and the uh, original Fishman character. So there's a little bit of a background in that scene right there. Yeah. There you go. You can do like an anniversary like episode some, or a Blu-ray release some way down the road. Yeah, release, and I actually uh, some of the original footage. Yeah, I actually wanted him to come back to play a villain, but he already moved by that point. Ah, so. okay. <laughs> well, distance does uh, screw with things a little bit. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So did you have any particular challenges with the practical effects for the film? Actually... No, that was probably the easiest part to get done because we have a fantastic uh, gore effects artist. <laughs> uh, her name is uh, Isabel Azell, uh, Trauma Effects. She's soon to be Isabel Ritchie. You can uh, look her up on uh, Trauma Effects. Not to be pleased with Trauma Effects. T-R-A-U-M-A effects. <laughs> and Dan, it's Trauma Queen. Effects. Trauma Queen Effects. Trauma Queen Effects. There you go. <laughs> Even I messed it up. Sorry, Izzy. 
something. I'll take some notes on that. I'll, I'll go look that up. No, I mean, honestly, compliments to her. I love the practical effects throughout the film. There were a lot of, I wouldn't say particularly gory scenes that I enjoyed. The guy getting run through. You guys made great use of a lot of the fishing equipment, things that I wouldn't have thought you could kill with. So, uh, murdering a girl with a fishing net. Yeah. I mean. What was your question, Chris? I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just, I I was saying, just going through the different things that uh, people got murdered with throughout the film. Oh, yeah. Hooks, nuts, um, and uh, we didn't want the like we wouldn't didn't want to be too like I know what she did last summer with because because that's a similar looking villain. All they did was kill people with the hook all the time. We wanted to be <laughs> different and uh, actually like be a little bit more creative with the kills. So we would go to like uh, thrift shops and everything and go into like the sporting goods section and find like old like fishing equipment that we could kill people with, like the dock mate, like the dock mate, and squeeze someone to death with a dock mate. Which like one of her, I think the very first kill we did. Yeah, that was the first kill we shot. Mm-hmm. So what was your favorite part of making this film? Completing it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. That would be good. No, I think my favorite part is just uh, being on set with my friends. Because Ethan, John, and Jim, they're all like really good friends of mine. So just being on set with them was like the best part. Even if we didn't agree 100% of the time, we were, like, there's a line from, uh, uh, what's it called, Disaster Artist. Like, the worst the worst day on set is still a great day. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I what about you, that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically, essentially, all that Dan said is, like, creating a family of friends and that are filmmakers took us, what, like, a little, like, for almost yeah four years to complete it four or five years to complete it and um it really like we grew as filmmakers and as family with all the cast and crew so you'll see reoccurring roles in our future projects with some of the actors and behind the scenes cast and crew because that's really what it all is about at the end is um you know having fun and creating a vision with people who you love to be around to make it yeah exactly and it took four years not because it took like four years to actually shoot it it took maybe about like two summers to shoot everything and i shoot all the big shoot all the principal photography and then we took another summer Mm -hmm. to do like inserts and like special effects shots and then another year to pretty much edit it all together and sit with like the the composer to lay all the tracks down we definitely really learned a lot in terms of the process of lighting and audio and camera angles to uh, audio was the easiest part wasn't it brett (laughs) (laughs) it's Yes, Dan, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of that, I had to, I just got new audio equipment and I'm super excited to use it. That's actually what we were talking about before we hopped on here. Yeah, because we're working on a new uh, short called The Fiddler and it'll be part of a, a much broader film called Ultimate Terror. It's going to be a, like a segment in a, a creep show-esque anthology film. So we're going to be doing one segment for that film, which will be produced by uh, 
Jeremy Moorhead from Epic Film Guys. And it stars Bludgeon Man. And the or actor uh, who played Bludgeon Man. Okay, I was going to ask. Not the actual <laughs> character. And, uh, the actor who played John McCoy. Um, okay. And then the other guy, his uh, co-star, is, his name is Keith Crosby, the actor. Um, he played the guy who gets impaled by one of the um, the clam rake. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Clam rake. One of my favorite kills in the movie. I didn't spoil it, Dan, but thanks. <laughs> but well, yeah. it's not spoiled, but they're not seeing it, so they'll have to watch the movie to see uh, how it plays out. No spoilers at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to look that up. I'll actually reach out to you guys because I'll definitely be interested in uh, seeing that when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, we're right in the middle of uh, doing it right now. So we're, I, I would say we're like, what, 45% through? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the hardest part about it is scheduling. It's it's the distance that's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. We have a location that's two and a half hours away. Oh. So, Ooh. Like, pre-plan it, like, several weeks ahead and get a bunch of... But it's definitely worth the drive. The location is create it has like this phenomenal mood to it that is yeah gonna... the weird thing is is that it's just my friend's house and it's just like this abandoned place on his in his yard <laughs> on his property <laughs> you'll see more effects by isabella zell and yeah she'll be doing the effects in it and uh and fiddler as well so. yep is there anything that you guys learned uh, while making that movie that you are trying to change or make better in any future movies yes absolutely because uh i remember uh when we listened to your review how you like talked about <laughs> the leg shot on the beach when the one the girl gets uh choked by the by the net yeah like, that day was so hot <laughs> like we could we were just we weren't even thinking we we're almost like because we were only allowed to shoot around the shed. We couldn't shoot inside the shed. Because mm -hmm. I thought of that while editing. And I was like, dude, we should have just had her hands just kind of like creep into like the, the doorway in the shed. And then Brett kept reminding me. He's like, dude, we couldn't. We could only shoot around. I'm like, oh, yeah. So yeah, I also focused on how crappy the audio was that day. Because apparently our transmitter box blew out. And uh. yeah, it was... um. Half the dialogue was basically butchered, so we had to... That was a really hard scene to edit. It was. Yeah. And it was such a, it's such a simple scene, but it was so hard to edit because of all like the glaring issues of everything that happened that day. That was probably the worst day. <laughs> One of them. So just... but, um, but yeah, so, so, so going back to your question, Sarah, yeah, there's a lot of, thing, a lot of things that we did learn on the set of Slaughter Beach that we're going into next pro uh, the new projects with it's just like all right let's make sure that any logistics in the script let's 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 put more logic in them when we shoot them <laughs> <laughs> you want anything to add to that brent any other worst days for you oh god oh we could go on for hours about all the problems <laughs> we had like the drunk guy i'm filming the climax stumbling it out of his car Oh, God. Accusing us of being on private property when there was no <laughs> private property sign around, and it was perfectly illegal for us to film there. Yeah, this was um, during the uh, during the, the end, Chris. 
You know, um, when uh, when Fish Van Sam is approaching uh, the last victim at the end, I won't I won't spoil anything on that part. Oh, we then, always warn people of spoilers right at the beginning. Okay. So we we are sort of a spoilers filled podcast. So we always yeah. warn people at the very head. We have a warning that's set up. So if they're listening, they know there's going to be spoilers. <laughs> okay. Well, well, for, for my sake, I'll say uh, the last the last victim, quote unquote. Um, is being approached by Fishman Sam, and all we were able to film was that, like, was those two shots. You know, the shot when uh, he's uh, sharpening his his hook on the on the block. Yes, we got that, and singing and the sea shanty the of Lulu. We got the approach, <laughs> and then that's when a big truck came up on the dock, and they were like, and then some drunken dude came out, and like beer cans are falling out of his uh, truck, and he's stumbling to us. And he's got this like booming like Freddy Krueger type voice. Like, what are you guys doing? You motherfucker! You gotta get off my property! <laughs> I was like, sir, there's a slight misunderstanding. Like, you know, we're not we're not touching the boats. We're being completely respectful. We're just using the dock for as the background for a little uh, scene we're doing. You're like, no, 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 no! You got these cameras on here right now. The party's over, motherfucker! And then, um. A week later, we go back and um, we asked we asked around, and they're like, "I'm like, are we allowed to film here?" Like, yeah, you're allowed to film here. Like, what? I don't know what that dude's problem was. Maybe he just wanted to be in the film. <laughs> he was very camera shy then because he told us to turn all the cameras off. <laughs> and or maybe, or maybe he wanted to be lead character. He wanted all yeah. the cameras off everybody else and on him. So it was also like one of the hottest days of the year, and we had a bunch of like horse flies attacking us. <laughs> and oh. there was like dozens of flies in my car for like a couple weeks I had to because how much oh it was yeah it was and so I always said it during winter time uh, we didn't we, didn't, we, f we tried to film once during winter time <laughs> and it, it did not turn out well you, uh. you're wearing like summer clothes and it's like um, you know 10 degrees out it's not fun that it was not fun for the actors <laughs> So we were like, all right, you know what? We're gonna wait till next summer. <laughs> yeah, and that that's was, why it took original. That's class. why it took a little bit of time to get the film done because we had to shoot in the summertime. So and Dan, that was part of the original climax before we rewrote it and all that. Which funny is well, only knowledge because you guys couldn't really tell, uh, but there are some shots from the original climax implemented into the new final climax um like how many shots like three or four different maybe shots three or three or four fight. during during yeah. the fight made it in and then but, not that but there is other shots from another place and another place so a total of like four different locations we had to blend in to create that entire sequence just because of this one drunken guy kicked us out. Uh. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't have been able to tell, but now I know. So the I want power to. of editing. Yep. <laughs> I did want to ask if this is going to serve as sort of an origin story, will there be more adventures of Awesome Boy and Bludgeon Man? You know, we've been getting that question a lot lately. Yeah. And um, I, I say yes, because Ethan and John, they want to do more. And so does Jim. There may be a, there may be a rematch of Fishman Sam against the Defender Benders in the future. Uh, how old are they supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not really clear. 
I always, in my head canon is that is that Ethan and John are like foster brothers. So, but in in real life, uh, John is like what, like fifteen years older than Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because like if you had said one of them was like twenty one, I would believe that, but the other one is definitely not anywhere near that. <laughs> no, no, John was like like in his. Like what? His early to mid thirties when we shot it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just saw them as two like twenty-something guys living in his parents' basement. Yes, yeah. that's, that's kind of how just I felt. Two, just two slackers that don't know what to do with each other, <laughs> oh. and um, they kind of give that that Bill and Ted vibe. And the funny thing is, that was the first time they in that basement was the first time that they ever met each other too. That was the <laughs> that we filmed. Yeah, because we got rained out the first day of shooting. So we had to like think of something quick to do a, a, a interior because uh, mm-hmm. John has to drive from pretty much DC to here, which is like a two and a half hour drive. So it's just like, well, John's here; he made the trip. We might as well shoot something. So we shot the uh, the first scene with them playing uh, go fish. That was the first <laughs> thing we ever shot with them. I was a little surprised uh, to hear that because there's a lot of chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, they 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 hit it off like pretty quickly, and they're. I mean, I told them going into this, like, um, like I wanted it to have that that clerksy vibe between the two of them, to be like the Dante and the Randall. They've known each other for years. You've said that. I'm, I was racking my brain for like, I there was a definite feel between the two of them that I, I had, and I was racking my brain for like buddy comedies, trying to think of like these guys feel a lot very familiar. You said clerks, and it clicked. Okay. <laughs> See everybody. People say clerks. Everybody thinks of Jane Silent Bob, but they don't think yeah. of and Randall all the time. They're kind of like bestie, best friend. They're the deep cut of that piece of the yeah. Kevin Smith uh, franchise. Yes, the Viewers Universe, which we uh, we actually stopped and visited recently because Slaughter Beach was a screen at the Highlands Comedy Fest, which was like a drive-in fest near. Red Bank, New Jersey. So I was like, "Hey, Red Bank, New Jersey. Let's let's stop at the Quick Stop and get a snack." <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to so, say that you went to uh, Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash. We didn't have time to do that. Cause I think the stash was like tw- like like fifteen 20. twenty minutes away from the festival. Otherwise, we would. We won, have. Uh, as for the festival, we won the William Asher Award. Oh wow! Which yeah, he's a very famous fifties uh, and sixties television. And movie producer for like beach comedies. Yeah, so all the Frankie Avalon, Frankie and Annette beach movies, like he was a producer on, and that's what the uh, the director of the the festival thought it would be a clever award to give us. That's awesome. Um, besides Kevin Smith, obviously, what other directors inspire you? Well, obviously, like I told you guys earlier, Ghostbusters. So. Huge on Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis, Paul Rubens, and and uh, John Paragon. There's not not many people know that uh, Jambi, right there, I have his autograph right there, um, was actually Paul Rubens' uh, writing partner on a lot of the the Pee Wee content. So and a produ- and his co-producer. So they were. So John Paragon needs to have that uh that that limelight a little bit. So I'll give him that shout out there. Um, so. There are two of my influences. Sam Raimi, obviously. There's a lot of Raimi-esque shots throughout the movie. 
plus that that campy Army of Darkness vibe. <laughs> uh, who else? Brian Usna. Does anyone know who Brian Usna is? Mm-hmm. He directed yeah. um, Bride of Reanimator. He directed oh, the Dentist series. He also directed um, Return of the Living Dead Part Three. He was also producer on um, the early Stuart Gordon movies, such as the first Reanimator, Dolls, From Beyond. Uh, who else do? I, who, who other directors do I like? Tim Burton. Uh, okay, he's up there. I was, gonna, I was waiting for you to mention Lloyd Kaufman too. And Lloyd Kaufman. Oh, I, I gave Lloyd some love earlier. Obviously, he's uh, he's one of my favorites. So. Oh, yeah, we've been over that. We don't need to mention that again. We're good. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Brett? Oof. Um, he, Dan named a few already, like Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon. Actually had their entire, basically, all their movies on Blu-ray up in a, like, a little shrine on my wall. <laughs> um, and I got, I went to the Monster Mania in 2022, and I got Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs to sign like $400 worth of material. <laughs> so now I have to get Brian Usenon to sign some stuff. But um, other than those guys, um, I'm a huge Italian horror guy like Fulci, Argento, uh, Umberto, Lenzi, Mario Bava. I can go on. Don't get me started on Italian. Don't get me started on Jalo, guys. Please don't. I, I could I could go on for hours about how influential the Italian cinema has been, not only for the horror genre, but for cinema as a whole. Like especially with uh, Sergio Leone. Like I'm starting to get into westerns right now, spaghetti westerns. I told him to start with the Dollars trilogy because I think mm-hmm. that's the most iconic. I actually just watched. Uh, I'm going to start with the Dollars Trilogy now, but um, yesterday I watched Bone Tomahawk with uh, Kurt Russell in it. Oh, yeah. That movie is intense. Took me by surprise how good it was. I think that's the first movie I've heard you guys that I actually know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're big Kurt Russell fans. Like, John Carpenter is a huge influence on us. Um especially me as a horror nerd who else sam Raimi. i have the whole evil dead groovy collection up on my wall uh, he's his evil dead was the movie that got me into filmmaking and wanted to be a filmmaker i i did go through a stanley kubrick phase here and there so <laughs> who didn't right yeah we all did <laughs> i did but oh. yeah my, my <laughs> Genres and taste in directors jump around a lot, mm-hmm. but if I had to pick like a top three, it would be <laughs> Lucio Fulci, Sam Raimi, Mario Bava uh, would be part of them. It's a hell of a uh, top three. Mm-hmm. Argento would be number four. Oh god, um, I also love Charles Band and Full Moon. Oh, and- man, I forgot oh. to mention Charles Band. I love. Charles and Ghoulies. <laughs> I'm, I'm really standing, I'm s- sorry, staring at a Dr. Mordred D- uh, Blu-ray right now. <laughs> and you have the Ghoulies poster in your room. I don't know why yeah. I didn't re- mention Richard Van. <laughs> I, I feel so bad now. Mm. Obviously. And I'm wearing my Michael Keaton like shirt, oh. so I don't know why I didn't mention Tim Burton earlier. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and Lloyd Kaufman especially, too. So you always got to honor Lloyd. Save the best for last. <laughs> yeah. When they listen to this, they're going to be so mad they weren't listed first. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to. Chris, you got a question? No, nah, nah, they're really chill. Yeah. We oh, met some geez. good guys at that um, through Troma, like Dan Blake. He's super cool. He, he is. owns his own. Uh, he manages a comic book shop down in Fenwick Island in Delaware, which is. I mean, sorry, Maryland. Is it Delaware or Maryland? It's like, Delaware. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's like on the cusp. So I'm going to ask a slightly self serving question just for a minute. I absolutely love the film. I say this because I went out, you guys gave us the screener to watch. After watching the screener several times, I went out and bought the Blu-ray so that I could own it. Okay, so that being said, are there any other projects you guys have worked on that I should look out for? This was the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The pro- we, have, we have a really, like... Uh, really low down YouTube page of like, because when, when we first started clock out films, we wanted to do like a go around like covering cons and interview like cosplayers and like, you know, booths and tables. And then uh, we kind of just faded away from that because we had to focus so much on uh, getting Slaughter Beach completed and done. And if so, you really, like our next, what? Sorry, go ahead, Brett. If you want to really do a deep dive, go back to our college years <laughs> with, uh, and find NCCDE we worked for the county government in Delaware and we did a bunch of like on the street interviews I shot it Dan was usually the guy who's uh, right, the point like, is to get people interested in more projects not disinterested <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, those those were our, our like college year projects when we were interns for the Delaware County. Let's yeah, because we came up with Slaughter Beach while we were still working for uh, the county, doing videos for the county. Yes, we were developing the script then. So, like once the script was complete and po- and pre production was all was all set to go, like you know that was pretty much the the priority. So, did you guys go to film school? Yeah, we went to. Uh, uh, Wilmington University for, for studio production. Mm-hmm. That's where gonna, we all met. I was going to be a RTVF major here in Texas, and uh, it's film, radio, and television. But I was like, I don't want to judge movies. I love movies too much. Now I review them for podcasts. So, you know. Uh, so if I'm talking to a Texas person, I can now do this quote. Oh. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Perfect. Thank you. I had a clap. Clapping. <laughs> That's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal here. Um, so I know you guys said you like horror films. Um, mm-hmm. What are your favorite horror films? And before you tell me, I want to tell you one of mine, um, Sleepaway Camp. And I felt like your Ooh. movie had a feel of Sleepaway Camp to huh. it. So what are your guys' favorite horror films? Before we answer that, um, do you also like the other Sleepaway Camp films? Like, so I have all five. I have the full box collection. So I have all five of them. Oh. I honestly have only watched the first two. Uh, Maybe I've only seen one. the first three. I haven't seen the last uh, two in the collection. Yeah. Felissa Rose was actually um, <clears throat> going to be in 
uh, the book because <clears throat> if Brian couldn't get Lloyd, he was going to go try and get Felissa Rose oh, wow. to play the uh, the mayor. So that's a little bit of a little bit of background on the upcoming the book, which should be should be done soon, right? Yeah, they're working on some really uh, cool special effects that take time. So, okay, I think yeah, that more or less will probably end up on uh, Truman now. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And you um, can find it there. And Red Cup Films, the people who did the book, he Brian Wild. He also has a uh, short film called Box Anne that is on Truman now as well. And like I said, what we're working on right now, uh, we're working on The Fiddler. That's going to be part of uh, a anthology film close to uh, Chaos from the Crypt and Creep Show. And then hopefully if we get pre-production done by the time next summer hits, we'll start our, our next comedy, Hex Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But for The Fiddler... The Fiddler is a little bit more serious. Super serious rather than a comedy. It's going to scare the pants off you guys, I'll tell you. Oh, oh my. <laughs> you made me cringe, Brent. Thank you. Are you guys going to try to put it into, like, South by Southwest? You know, South by Southwest? We'll try, yeah. That's up to Jeremy if we're allowed to kind of uh, put it in the festival as a solo film. So, mm-hmm. If you do, you let me know. I'll come see that. Yeah, we're, we're just it's super excited for you guys. To- John doesn't really... Uh, John's... I'm making him do a little bit more of a grounded character. He was like all funny and silly in Slaughter Beach. This I'm like having him play kind of a, the villainous role, and he's playing like this kind of like old, jaded, cranky old man that owns a farm. So you guys will see how it all plans out. Yeah, he's got a lot of range as an actor. It's it's weird to me how he's not in a lot more projects. Like he, like before like Slaughter Beach, he was only in. Easter Sunday, which is another slasher comedy. And, Dan, don't forget, he was in something else. Bob the Roach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Before Bob the Roach, he <clears throat> was in one of our NCCTV Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when we covered Monster Mania. That's how we met John. Was, uh, he, was, he was dressed in a Roach costume at Monster Mania. But yeah, we're, we're super excited to show you guys that short and to show you what jeremy is uh going to come up with it with the full anthology film yeah so far we're going into this project pretty blind i have no idea what the other stories are going to be mm-hmm. or if mine matches stylistically <laughs> i mean it's not a bad idea to stand out no not at all i mean jeremy liked the dailies and like the uh the clips i showed him so far so you know we're looking forward to getting this one in the can pretty soon i want people to to see it as soon as possible Back to Sarah's question, though. Favorite horror film? Favorite horror <laughs> film. Like I said, ADHD. There you go. I, I, hope, you, I hope you cut these up, Chris. <laughs> I was like, maybe they'll get around to it. It's cool. Trying to steer you away from that question because that is a very difficult question to answer, to be honest. Yeah, it, the, the, the list goes on. It's like, it's like where, where, where do you... Where do you start? Because there's so many sub levels of horror. Um, if I were to, if I were to list a top five, I think top five would probably work a little bit better than just trying to single it out to number one. Yeah. Now, Sarah, real yeah. quick, when you say this question, what's our favorite horror movies? Is it going to have to be strictly horror, 
or is it horror comedy or horror thriller horror you know just there's so many sub genres of horror horror. drama you know Yeah. yeah anything in that in that category anything that what would you recommend for someone who you know doesn't watch a lot of horror movies but wants to what would you toss out there well, horror comedies are probably the easiest and funnest to get in if you're a new comic horror. But if you want, like, there has been a lot of the big ghost fads. And the ghost horror genre has been very huge, especially in the past, like, 20 years. But if people really like that whole genre, I suggest going a little bit back into the late 90s to early 2000s and go to Korean and Japanese cinema, like Nori the Curse or uh, the original... Your top five horror films, Brett, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my top five horror films... Yeah, just do a blank. I can't... I, yeah. I'm going to rent... I'm going to go on a tangent if I do that, so... <laughs> All right, how about... I'll go, I'll go first. All right. First, Evil Dead, 1981, because that's pretty huge for me. <laughs> that's one. Um, because what that, that film did is it showed that you can, uh, that anybody can make a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Romero did it in, like, the late 60s with Night of the Living Dead, but I think Evil Dead kind of, like, took that and, like, ran with it, that concept. Uh, number two, the original Exorcist, because William Freakin, rest in peace. Number three, Hitchcock's Psycho, hmm. number four. Maybe the original Poltergeist. They're back. Number five, hmm, the original Basket Case. And honorable mentions, Return of the Living Dead Part 3. And hmm, let me see. Oh, no, Brett, you go. <laughs> I'll have to think on that. I'll have to think on my other honorable mention. Wall of Blu-rays for a horror films right now oh you know what Cronenberg's mm. the fly oh yeah i was actually gonna be like what about the fly Dad? i know because right. when you're like a horror nerd like just just think of all these movies and you're trying to like kind of like exactly decipher which ones you want to put to the, to the top of the list is that that's the why one? i have goldblum yes yeah, the jeff goldblum version yeah creepy yeah the least jeff goldblum jeff goldblum movie ever Yes. <laughs> I saw that as a kid. Yes, I, I caught it on TV, and it still creeped me out, even though they cut away from all the gore. When he starts to, like, oh, no, no, can't talk about it. All right, I think I have a few that I can do a little shout-out in no specific order for these films, though. But on well, my wall, seven, I mean, I can just go mention, to ten, so. <laughs> Yeah, well, Evil Dead is a is a big one big influence my whole evil dead groovy collection cool investment i actually have i need to get bruce's signature on it but i have kelly and pablo's signature in it for the groovy collection Pumpkinhead. i love Pumpkinhead. i've had like this big obsession with him especially trying to get like the atmosphere for the fiddler going with that old farmer type feel Let's see here. Basket Case, the entire trilogy is phenomenal. I got Stuart Gordon's films, the Reanimator trilogy. The Dentist is a great one. Oh, man. 
Ooh. <laughs> Hitting the Pendulum by Stuart Gordon. That's a good one, too. I just recently watched that. Uh, and then two more I can name off here. This is out of my Blu-ray collection. It is going to be A Bay of Blood okay. and Black Sunday by Mario Bava. Mm-hmm. What if someone said Scream was their favorite? Is that okay? Yeah, Scream's a great <laughs> series. I actually just saw the the sixth. <sighs> so good. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Still like the first two the best. Mm-hmm. But And you can't be uh, Wes Craven in terms of a horror producer and director. He's very prolific and iconic which actually when you're we were talking about favorite directors that's one of the directors that we forgot to mention Damn. you know what we forgot favorite. to mention john carpenter yeah i, oh. I said, yeah <laughs> but i think for, you fawned over john for, carpenter while we were talking about Kurt Russell. Off, like there's so many names that are going through your head like i said exactly you can't bunch them all into one little list and what'd you say chris I said, I think they fawned over uh, John Carpenter back when we were talking about Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you got Lucio Fulci with The Beyond. Because I'm looking at my Halloween 3 poster over there. I'm like, I forgot John Carpenter. Halloween 3. That's a great one. Gotta always mention that. I'd be mean, terrible. That... terrible at a eulogy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what if I wanted to be really scared? Because I feel like there's no like really, really scary movies like there were back in the day when, you know, like the first time I saw Carrie and that hand pops up from the grave, I really thought it like really popped up. I watch it now, I'm like, it just slowly meanders up through the grave. It's not scary. But as a kid, it terrified me and my best friend. So, what is a movie that, like, really scare the crap out of you? Do you guys know any? I remember the first movie that I got that I wasn't able to sleep from, and it's completely hilarious now, because I saw it as a kid, and I always thought it was going to, it was going to, like, drop down in front of my window. Um, Sam Blob. The, the, no, the original Steve McQueen Blob. Because the blob was, like, indestructible. Like, you couldn't kill it unless you, like, froze it. I was like, I, what am I going to do, throw ice cubes at it from the fridge? <laughs> like, like, so when I was a little kid, and I saw that on one of the original Monster Vision uh, errands back in the 90s. Give uh, give Joe Bob some uh, some love right there. Yeah, I always thought it was, like, because like, when I was sleeping at night, I always thought the blob meteorite was going to, like, hit near my window. And then was going to like crawl up through my through like my window uh, my window cracks. So did Flubber really freak you out when you got older? Oh, absolutely! No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Flubber's one of those. But, but actually, that's I think that's why Ghostbusters two creeped me out. The slime the slime river uh-huh. always creeped me out. Mm-hmm. You know what creeped me out as a kid? I had Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure <laughs> always creeped me out. Zelda. From Pet Cemetery, terrifying. The kid <laughs> from Pet Cemetery creeps yeah. me out. The weird thing is, is that horror movies, like I think I said this in another podcast, like horror movies, like never really creep me out as much as just like regular movies with scary parts in them. Yes, because mm. we grew up with stuff like Never Ending Story. There's some scary shit in that movie. 
You know, uh, it never scared me. I'm not afraid of clowns, but I am terrified of drainage ditches. I'm always like super weary about my keys. I'm just always afraid I'm going to throw my keys down the drainage ditch. And then, you know, maybe I might be killed by a weird monster. But <laughs> the first film. And then to then have... like... Sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh, sorry. The first film to have any kind of traumatic effect on me was back when I was around uh, maybe 11, 12 years old, and I saw an old. Was it? Well, not old. It was new at the time, but a uh, Zelda Rubenstein movie called Anguish. Mm. Oh my god, yes. I. Oh. So I, I didn't see great movie. I loved watching movies in the theater, and for a while, I would not go back. Just It, it was one of those weird movies, that, that the movie's going on on the screen, and then you're watching people watch the movie on the screen while other shit's <laughs> going down there, and then the movie sort of leaks into reality. So, it was... It was one of very meta. Very meta film. I've never seen this. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Except it was called Anguish. Anguish. I've only yeah. been able to find... I haven't seen it streaming anywhere. I've only been able to find, like, a VHS copy through, like, eBay, or, or I think they still sell it through Amazon. Yeah, I can't find anything either to add to my collection, because that's, like, an instant purchase. VHS and, uh... They have DVD pressing of it, but I'm not sure if it's a, uh... legal DVD pressing of it. There's a new <laughs> one from 2015. No, no, this is 1987. Very distinctive cover. It's just literally Zelda Rubenstein, part of her face, and just this hypnotic swirl of red on the on the face of the uh, original cover. Yeah, you can make some. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that poster. That's a very. You can make some very recognizable poster. Um, the Dark <laughs> now Knight I know now Rises. I know the uh, the title to that goes with that poster. The Dark Knight Rises tragedy and that and that movie has some weird parallels to it. The, the shooting? Very much so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's about all I have for time for day, today, unfortunately. <laughs> the air. <laughs> and on. I'm We're going to end it on that. <laughs> the uh, Dark Knight. Uh, well, well, we'll end it on you guys kind of telling people where they can pick up their own copy of the, uh, the Slaughter Beach film, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you can pick up a copy of the Slaughter Beach film at srscinema.com. You can find... Or just search Google SRS Slaughter Beach. It'll come right up in like the first Google search. Uh, Blu-rays are pretty limited right now, so but we will be heading to DVD and streaming in the next couple months. So like us on Clockout Films at Instagram, or I just recently made a Slaughter Beach Facebook. So look up Slaughter Beach Movie on Facebook. <laughs> like us there for updates. Why haven't I found you on Facebook yet? I'm going to have to go look that up. Yeah, I just made it like a week ago. We already have like 20 likes right now. (laughs) I can add the links to all three in the description of the uh, podcast. That way people can find you a lot easier. Thank you both Uh for joining us here today and uh, promoting your film and having a nice, lively discussion. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Yeah, I actually never asked you what your top five favorite horror movies are. I was... (laughs) I yeah. think we should end it on that. My top five favorite horror movies? Uh, let's see. No, you're going to make me think for a minute. I wasn't prepared for this. Put me on the spot, why don't you? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm it's just all, curious. It's all right. I thought I had slipped out. We were fine. Nobody had asked me anything. <laughs> just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Uh, pull me back in. <laughs> 
All right. So, Evil Dead, definitely. Uh, Anguish, like I said, is one of my my favorite films, just because it was the first film to traumatize me. So, that uh, that's mm-hmm. stuck with me for a long time. There is a film that I watched recently that I, I, I'm going to just add as an honorable mention at the end, but it's a film called Kotoko uh, that I particularly oh. liked. Uh, trying to remember the guy's name for the life of me. Hold on a minute. I'm not going to get up and cross the room and dig through my collection to find him. But uh, <laughs> that was a that's like an honorable mention. Uh, if we're going for... I, I think this would be more comedy horror uh, with Frank Henlotner, but Frankenhooker. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. I'm gonna create a lot of dead space. He always says, "He's like, I don't like horror comedies. I I make exploitation films." Yes, right, right, right. (laughs) He says that about the Basket Case series. Well, whether or not he calls it an ex uh, an exploitation film, it falls into that category. I mean, I mean, (laughs) a bunch of monsters on a bus singing personality. It's like, okay, yeah, this is this is completely serious, right? (laughs) Well, the, the. other or the sequels to Basket Case were a lot oh, less yeah. serious than the original one was. <laughs> oh well, yeah, without a doubt. But anyway, sorry, cut you off. I oh, think we're at number three. Oh no, no, that's fine. A very unconventional favorite, uh, going with with Lloyd Kaufman's catalog, uh, Attack of the Killer Condom. <laughs> was one. I'm just going. These these are films that that brought me perverse joy growing up finding like you know vhs copies of them going to suncoast video i would walk from where i lived to a local mall which was probably about 15 miles away and walk back just with ba- a bag full of like cut out bin vhs cassettes i think that was the time man i i, I think <laughs> streaming kind of ruined that experience you like you find the physical movie you know there was just something about it and that my, just... my grandparents owned a video store, so I will <sighs> I will defend video stores to my death. I wish they still existed. I don't like the red box. And in all I honesty, I like the community store. of you know video rental stores. Just kind of mm-hmm. going out, browsing the aisles, getting advice on what to watch from either the employees or other people that are wandering the aisles looking for things. And all you had was the box, and like, was it what it said on the back, and that's it. That's it. You know, no one uh, asked me what. Well. To round out the list, Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Oh, okay. That's a that's a forgotten gem right there. It is very. Oh, I absolutely mm. love that. It, that was one of the that was one of the first movies we had a group of people that got together and would watch films in uh, my friend Allison's basement uh, every weekend after school. We would just go out. And rent like a stack because there was a local place. It's like okay, five five rentals for ten bucks for uh, five days. And then we'd rent like ten movies and just stay there most of the weekend watching films. Pass out wherever. Keep watching. <laughs> those were the days. Those were the days. I wish I had time to just stuff all those movies into one day. <laughs> so I feel like like you um you wake up in the morning. You're like I'm gonna watch a movie. And you just started at like 11 o'clock, and you're like, wait a minute, how's it 6 o'clock already? And it was only like an hour and a half movie. Yes, lose all that time that youth provided you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now if I can fit in a couple movies in a week. Um, I'm a basic bitch. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know all the 
ones that you guys know, but ones that I loved as a kid that I rented from Blockbuster a lot was the Pet Cemetery. I've seen one and two. Um, I loved Chucky. I even dressed as it like a little kid. Tried to t- scare my mom. Um, arachnophobia terrified me. I had a dream where I saw spiders, or not not a dream. I thought it was real, but I saw them all over my walls. Um, and then my dad had to be like, no, there's nothing there. You're fine. <laughs> um, and April Fool's Day, I was just telling Chris about this the other day. I loved that movie. Um, it's from the 70s, I believe. It's pretty good. Yeah. Are you talking about April Fool's Day with, with Tom Wilson from Back to the Future? The original sure. Is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Biff. I have no idea. You don't. You don't um, remember it? No. Like I don't. I didn't know who was in it. Uh, I remember seeing it. <laughs> I might have to subject you to uh, watching the remake with me sometime. Yeah, you said it was terrible. It was not good. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> yes, that's how. That's how bad it is. They had a remake. It, it was. It was not good at all. Must have been an April Fool's joke. You know, one I really liked that a lot of people don't know is uh, Lover's Lane. Did you guys ever see it? It's a Valentine's Day, like, murder. It's, it's basically like the hook and the door kind of scenario. Oh, so like I, an urban I, I think I remember seeing, like, the, the poster art for it, but I don't remember Anna Ferris was in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, my God. She was huge back in, like, the early 2000s. Thanks yeah. to scary movies. It's just... All over the place. Even Sofia Coppola like used her in like Lost in Translation for like a bit part. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, yeah. See, so those choices weren't basic at yeah, all. They weren't basic at all. Those were good. No, I mean I love all the screams and the Freddy Kruegers and the Halloweens. You know, the normal ones. Yeah. I don't know all the fancy underground ones that you guys do. Uh, there's nothing fancy about basket case. <laughs> no, or anything Frank Hedenlotner does at all. Yeah, no, nothing. Fancy. Yeah, but you guys can all be like, "Oh, freaking Hedenlotter!" <laughs> it means nothing to me. I'll tell you what. I'll introduce you to basket case and brain damage. And Ooh, yeah, brain damage is another good one by him. Then you can you can join the conversation to understand why Sweet. why why people like him. Sounds like a plan. Whether or not you'll like him, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you guys for joining us. This was a, truly an honor to have you guys on here today. Like, I might be geeking out a little bit. I may have just, just stared vacantly a few times. So, <laughs> And as our uh, good friend Nico, who has not been with us for a little while, is very used to saying to sign off our podcast, drink some water, you thirsty bitches. <laughs>
Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. We are the hosts of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. On the Strange and Beautiful Book Club, Matt and I share our adventures discovering forgotten movies, television shows, and books in the science fiction, horror, and fantasy genre. Not necessarily good movies, though. Oh, certainly not. We love a good, bad movie. The quirkier, the funnier, the more campy, the better. But we talk about some classics, too. Of course, we can't ignore our favorites like Highlander or the 1990s vampire cop television show Forever Night, which we are currently covering one episode at a time. As if I could forget. Oh, hush. You love every minute of it. Come join us every week as we discover, discuss, and dissect fantasy, horror, and sci-fi genre classics. New episodes release every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.